how's your guys' week been? Scale of one to ten. Yeah? Anybody had like a really bad week, like a two? Yeah? No? Well, let me tell you guys a little story. We'll start things off tonight with, um, with a little story of my, my poor son. You guys, you know, when you're 13 years old, you're considered a Jewish adult. That's what my friend Mike told me. So this is a big deal to turn 13 years old for a boy. And uh, so my son says he wants us to take him out on the boat to go, um, you know, bring his friends. We're going to go inner tubing and wakeboarding or whatever. And so we get him out of school early yesterday. And um, we head up to the lake yesterday afternoon. We get up there. It's like late afternoon. But we still got plenty of daylight. And we take off. And we get out to our spot. And wouldn't you know it, the boat breaks down. Just stops running in the middle of the lake. It's just like, man, every stinking time I take this boat out, it's something goes wrong. And so we're sitting there. And we're you know trying to make the most of it. So we're swimming and everything. And we let it rest for a little while. Because that's what you do when your car breaks down, right? You just let it rest. And... Um, and it worked. It started up. So we're all happy. So we're like, yeah, party. We'll just won't turn the boat off. The rest of the day, we just won't turn it off, no matter what, you know. Kids, stay away from the propeller in the back because we're not shutting this baby down, you know. And um, so we, we pump the tubes up, and we're going for it. And we've got this big, huge tube. It's a four-person tube. So you got three people in the front, and you got one guy kneeling in the back behind him. And, and this thing is so big that you can't, I mean, you literally cannot flip it over. So you can just go fast and hit bumps and their kids are flying. And so, you know, my son, I'm watching, I got this rear view mirror and I'm watching, he's having the time of his life. He's, he's yelling, he's hot rodding, he's jumping up and go faster, go faster. And so we do, you know, and we hit this big jump and all of a sudden he comes down and uh, he, he bites um, the guy in front of him's head with his teeth and so the guy in front of him gets a big gash in his head and so that's not good and then at the same time he bites his lip and like I don't know how to explain it but his face exploded and so there was like blood just flying everywhere and so he comes out of the water and it was just like you know just one of those days and so we tried the big thing was son you need to let me take a picture of this because this is your 13th birthday and we need to commemorate this with the, you know, put it in the scrapbook because you only get one 13th birthday, but he wasn't going to let the towel down. He was, he was kind of in shock. At least I think that's why he screamed for 45 minutes straight. He was just in shock. And so um, seven stitches later and a big needle and all kinds of stuff. And he's good as new. So if you guys see my son Micah tonight and his face all swollen out, please just show him some big compassion, you know, big, give him the compassion and the empathy and the, oh, you know, and if he says it's dad's fault, don't listen to him. It was not dad's fault. Dad was just, he told me to go faster. So that's the story. That's right. We're sticking to it. Wow. Well, we've been talking the last two or three weeks about the fact that you and I find ourselves in a situation on this earth where there are literally two kingdoms that are always at work. Many times we're unaware of what is happening. Many times our eyes are blind to see what is really happening. But the Bible clearly tells us that there is a kingdom of darkness and there is a kingdom of light. And in the middle of these two kingdoms is you and me. That we go back to the beginning of the story in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, and we find an encounter of Adam and Eve as they're talking to their creator and they're having a relationship with God. And in comes this deceitful snake that lies to them and separates them from their creator, them from their father. And as a result, there are these two kingdoms at work. And we've been talking about what these two kingdoms 
really look like. And we've been talking about how they operate. And we've been talking about what the agenda and what the goals behind these kingdoms are. We talked last week about the fact that Scripture literally says that the kingdom of darkness is all about accusation. It's all about the enemy of our soul, Satan, standing before God and accusing you and I constantly. We talked about how being accused of things makes us feel very insecure and it makes us withdraw from wanting to be in a relationship. And that's what he wants is for us to withdraw. And then we talked about this concept of being tethered to God. We asked a question that said, what are you tethered to? We talked about this idea of when we were kids and we used to play on the playground, how there was this tether ball and you would punch the tether ball and it would spin around this pole and it would go round and round. And the more that it went around, the closer it got to the center. And we talked about whatever we're tethered to is what we're going to gravitate towards when our world starts to spin around. When we go through hard times, when we go through insecure times, when we go through times where we don't know what to do, whatever we have tethered ourselves to is what we're going to be pulled towards. And we talked about the importance of being tethered to God and allowing Him to be the center of our life and to be the center of everything that makes us up and is who we are. Tonight I want to talk to you about these kingdoms in a little different concept. I want to talk to you about the way that you and I are instinctively drawn and coerced towards the kingdom of darkness without even thinking about it, without even wanting it. It's something that comes naturally to many of us. In this book of Mark chapter 10, we find an interesting story between Jesus and his followers. And in verse 35, it says this, And then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to Jesus. And they said, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. What is it? He asked. In your glorious kingdom, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. They said, one at your right hand and the other at your left hand. But Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of sorrow that I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they said, we're able. And Jesus said, you will indeed drink from my cup and be baptized with my baptism, but I have no right to say who will sit on the thrones next to mine. Only God, and he has prepared those places for the ones that he has chosen. When the other ten disciples discovered what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and he said, You all know that in this world, kings are like tyrants, and the officials lorded over the people beneath them. But among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. This is a really interesting story because these guys pop up with this very, very unique request. See, in their mind, and you need to understand what they were thinking when they were having this conversation with Jesus. In their day and age, they were very familiar 
with the concept of kings. You and I, we celebrate our freedom here in America, and part of our freedom and part of our liberty is the fact that we are not under the rule of a person. We don't have somebody that tells us how we have to live our life or what we have to do. We have a, a democracy, a republic. We have all these things going on that we, we like to talk about, that we, we participate in our governance in some capacity, whether we think it's working or not is another issue. But we have that understanding that we're free men. And so when we, were t we understand the story, we have to understand is that these guys were not free men where they lived. They were under the rule of somebody. They were under the rule of somebody that literally had the right to be able to look at them and judge their life and to be able to say to them, you're good, you're bad. You go to jail, you stay free. And they were, had these, this unjust ability sometimes to impose things on them. And so as Jewish men, they've heard about this coming Messiah. They've heard about this coming teacher or rabbi that's going to liberate Israel and is going to be the one that's exalted so that finally they will be free men. That finally they will be able to have their day where they can t say what they want, do what they want, live as they want. And so Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to teach and he begins to share the love of God and he begins to express the heart of God. And he says things to his, his modern day culture. He says things to his town and to the people that know him that are shocking. He says things like, I'm the one that scripture has prophesied about for thousands of years. I'm the one that you have been waiting for. I am the one that you have been looking for and anticipating the coming of your whole life. I am that Messiah. I am the one to bring your freedom. And so in their mind, they think revolution. They think war. They think we're going to take over. They think there's going to be a battle and we are going to have our day. And Jesus begins to speak against those beliefs and he begins to say, you don't understand that my kingdom is not a kingdom that's like the kingdoms of this world. My kingdom is not a kingdom that is all about ruling over people. My kingdom is all about bringing freedom to the hearts of everybody. And Jesus begins to spread this message. And his disciples, the followers, are hearing this teaching, but they're not getting it. They're still questioning it over and over and over again. They still want to know, what about me? And so this story is a perfect example of how in their intellect and in their mind, they're following after Jesus because they think that there's something in it for them. They're following after Jesus because they think they're going to get their day. And so they asked Jesus this crazy question. They said, Jesus, when your glorious kingdom comes, we got a favor to ask. My brother here and me, we're your right hand guys. We will do anything you want. And all we want in return is if you'll give us ours. We want to be on the littler thrones. We don't want the top throne. You can have that one. We're good with that. But we want the next ones. We want number two and three. We want to be right underneath you. We want to have those spots so that when everybody sees you in your glory, right there is us. And we're right there with you, Jesus. You think you can hook us up? And Jesus is just like, you guys don't seem to get this. You don't understand. They're asking for a throne. They're asking for a place of position and prestige. Now you and I sitting here today, it's easy for us maybe to look at them and to judge them, but we've got to look in the mirror. 
We've got to look at the way that we think. We've got to look in the way that what makes us up. Because we're talking about the kingdom of God. And we're talking about the kingdom of darkness. You see, every single one of us wrestles with pride and ego. Every single one of us has this built-in thinking that I have to take care of myself. Every single one of us thinks that we know what makes us happy. Every single one of us is born into a world that lies to us continually and says to us, if you do these things, you'll be satisfied. And Jesus comes in and he says, I am coming to give you a completely different type of life, a completely different satisfaction. He begins to talk about forgiveness. Now you and I have been in a world that does not show forgiveness. We live in a world that does not believe in letting somebody have a second chance. That's contrary to what we see in the way that we feel. We believe that if you do something wrong, you've got to pay for what you've done wrong, right? We've got jails that are packed to capacity. We've got laws that are just thousands upon thousands because we believe in a justice system that says that if you mess up, there's a price to pay, right? God does too. God believes in that same justice system. Many times you and I come to the kingdom of God and we think, you know, I can live my life in such a way that I'm going to get off for the things that I've done wrong. I can live my life in such a way that I am not going to really have to suffer the consequences for the things that I've done. And we come to Jesus with the same kind of thinking that somehow, some way, I can slide by the justice system. I can come into this, this religious thing and somehow, some way, I can get around it and I can still, in my own way, have my way. I can have my cake and eat it too. I can somehow jump into this God thing and still satisfy my own desires and still follow after my own way. See, Jesus lays out for these guys this radical idea that the kingdoms of this world, he clearly articulates that they're built upon this gaining of power. Everything about the kingdoms of this earth and in our mindset illustrates that if you want to get somewhere, it means that you get power in the process. If you get a promotion at work, it comes along with it, responsibility and authority. And you're thinking in your mind, I've got more power. I'm gaining power. But Jesus says that his kingdom is built upon giving up power. That his kingdom is built upon releasing power. It's contrary to the way that you and I think in this world. It's completely upside down. You and I think that the way to the top means that I have to do things that put me above other people, right? We think in terms of climbing a ladder. Well, not everybody's going to the top, only me. I'm going to climb that ladder, and there's people that I'm going to leave in the dust. I'm going to gain power with every rung. And Jesus says, my kingdom is all about releasing power. My kingdom is all about going down the ladder. My kingdom is all about putting others first. And it's a radical thing for us to think in terms of this. But really, it comes back to this really simplistic idea that you have to catch. See, the kingdom of darkness wants you. The kingdom of darkness, Satan himself, wants to destroy your life. And if you've come in here tonight and you have no concept of God or religion, and you're like, dude, this is kind of heavy. I just got to tell you something, man. 
there is something out there that we call evil and it's not your friend and it wants to destroy your life and it'll do it through any means possible. It'll do it through addiction. It'll do it through broken relationships. It'll do it through lies that you believe. It'll do it through all kinds of means necessary. The kingdom of darkness wants to destroy your life and it will lie to you and tell you something is real when it's not. And it'll tell you something doesn't exist when it really does. And the kingdom of darkness operates on two main ways of grabbing a hold of you and I. The first way that it operates is it comes into this place to where it says, I don't need God in my life. I'm good. I don't need religion. I don't need anything that, that you know, people out there that are Bible thumpers or whatever. I don't need anything that they have. I'm going to completely out and out just reject it. And that's, that's where you're at, and it's all good. That's where every one of us starts out in our life. We just reject it, and we say, I've got something else that I would rather do. But my friends, there's something that is much more subtle at work. There's something that is much more sinister and much more effective at grabbing you tonight, rather than you being blatant and putting your hand out to God and saying, I don't want you. You know what is much more subtle and much more sinister? It's when the kingdom of darkness lies to you and says... Why don't you build a kingdom that is centered around you? Why don't you build a belief system that is centered around what you want? Why don't you build a desire, a dream that is centered around what pleases you? Because as long as you're just pleasing yourself and you're not hurting anybody else, what's the harm in that? And Satan begins to try to get us to believe in something that is fake, something that is a substitute, something that is not real. And many of us have lived our life following after that system, following after that false way of believing. You know, in our culture, we're unlike, or not unlike any other culture, we have modern day idols in our culture that you and I subscribe to. Matter of fact, it's kind of funny and ironic, but this TV show that all of us get sucked into every, every year, American Idol, this year they're shaking it up and we're going to have good old Steven Tyler on there, Mr. Aerosmith, Big Lips himself, he's going to be one of the judges. And many of us watch this pursuit that people go on and it's an incredible journey. I love watching it every year and seeing talented people climb this this you know, sometimes uh, an unsurmountable series of events that they have to go through to be able to try to win this contest. But it's interesting to think in terms of the word idol. American idol, when you think about it, what does it mean to us? It means somebody that we put up in a position of prestige, somebody that we put up in a position where everybody sees it, everybody recognizes it, everybody wants to be this person that's won this competition is the thinking behind it. You know, you and I have things in our life that we desire just like that. We have idols in our life that you and I dream about, things that we fantasize about as well. You know, an idol is really anything that we pursue that we think will give us what we want or give us what we think will take care of us. Anything in your life that you chase after, that you give yourself to, that your desires are towards, or anything that you give yourself to, that you chase after, that in some way you think is gonna satisfy you and take care of you, is really what we would call an idol. 
In the Bible, in Psalms chapter 24, there's a cool psalm written for us. And in it, it says some really powerful things. It says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to God. For he laid the foundations on the sea. And he built it on the ocean's depths. And then he asked this question. Who may climb the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? And here's the answer. Only those whose hands and hearts are pure. Who do not worship idols and never tell lies. They will receive the Lord's blessing and have right standing with God, their Savior. They alone may enter God's presence and worship the God of Israel. Clean hands and a pure heart. And who doesn't bow down to idols. See, I'm convinced that one of the biggest idols in our life that the kingdom of darkness uses to try to bring us to a place of not having intimacy with God is self-worship. Self-worship is one of the biggest idols that keeps us from intimacy with God. What is self-worship? What is this concept of self-worship? See, you and I go through this life and we see things, we pick up things, we pick up ideas, we pick up concepts and belief systems, and we go about our life thinking in terms of, I know what I want. And then we make decisions to support that belief of, I know what I want, I know what I need. And in, an ins- in a subtle way, there is a choice that you and I make between putting God in that position of God, you are the supreme, you are the premier, you are the ultimate in my life. You are the position in my life that nothing else can come close to. And we begin to put ourselves in that same place, saying, I know what I want. I know what I need. I know what makes me happy. Now, nobody here would say to themselves, I worship myself. Nobody would do that. Nobody would willingly say, I want to be somebody who is known as a self-worshipper. That's ridiculous. It's not something that we would walk around and proclaim to our friends. But when we look at our life and when we look at the decisions that we make and we look at what happens when we go through hard times and we look at what happens when our belief system gets rocked and we begin to say, what am I tethered to? What am I connected to as my world starts to spin around and around and around? We begin to lean upon ourself rather than leaning upon God. See, there's this concept that you and I have about ourselves. We think that we know things that we really don't know. Sometimes we come to God with this attitude of, God, I've heard it before, and so I know how to handle my life. God, I've seen my friends go through difficulties, and I've watched what they've done, and so I've watched them. I know what to do and how to handle situations. And we begin to lean upon our own thinking. We begin to lean upon our own way of comprehending life and getting through. The only danger in that, the only danger in that is that life changes so much. Life changes like that. And when we begin to lean upon our own thinking and lean upon our own intellect and lean upon the way that we think is right, it is next thing you know, and you're depending upon your own, your own self again. 
and you're beginning to put yourself in that position of I know what to do, I know how to handle it, and I know what I should be doing. Every one of us does this. This is our instincts. This is what comes naturally to ourselves. And so we got to ask ourselves tonight, what is the antidote to that self? What is the antidote to that self-worship? What is the antidote to us allowing the enemy and allowing the kingdom of darkness to come into our life and influence us? Because that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with influence. And every single one of us is influenced every single day of our life. See, it comes down to one simple thing. It comes down to worship. It comes down to once again seeing the beauty of God and falling down on your face and worshiping Him. See, we talked earlier about this justice concept. We talked earlier about the fact that sometimes we think that we can navigate our lives in such a way to where we can slide by and we can somehow get through the things that we've done and somehow not have to pay a price. But here's the deal. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody always has to pay. When we come to Jesus, and this is the, this is the most beautiful thing that I've ever experienced before. When we come to Christ and we stand at the foot of the cross that we celebrate as Christians, and we recognize the great sacrifice that He, that he laid for us on the cross of Calvary, we are saying ultimately to Him, every wrong thing that I have ever done, every, every unworthy thing that I have ever performed, everything in my life that I have ever done that requires somebody to pay the price, thank you for paying the price for me. Somebody has to pay every single time. Because we believe in a legal system that talks about justice. We believe in a justice system that says that when somebody does something wrong, somebody's got to pay the price. As we come tonight to a place of understanding these two kingdoms that we stand before, we have to recognize that at the core of the kingdom of God is a Savior that took every wrong thing that you and I have ever done and every punishment that you and I deserve and every unjust thing that was done to other people that we inflicted on them, Jesus says, put it all on me. I'll take the punishment for it. I'll take the rap for it. Now you think about how crazy that would be in our system today. If we had something go wrong in our legal system today to where somebody committed a heinous crime and they murdered somebody innocently, and they went before the judge and they were found guilty and they went before the jury and they were found and they were going to be executed. And somebody else came into the courtroom and said, I will take the place of them. I will die for them. We wouldn't want that to happen, would we? We would say, no, man, you can't do that. You can't take the place for this guy. He's the one that did wrong. He's got to pay the price. And yet... In spite of that, huge injustice for Jesus to step in front of that for you and me, He took it. He took every single one of it. Every single sin, every single abuse, every single wrong, He took it all. 
And so you and I stand here tonight sometimes and we think, maybe I got off. You didn't get off. Somebody else took the hit for you. Sometimes you think, oh, you know, I'll just do what I want. I'll just, I'll just kind of live for God a little bit or I'll just do this. And you think it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. Somebody else took the hit for you. And you owe them your life. You owe them everything. How unjust of you to live your life in such a way to where you fail to recognize that. What a chump for you to live your life in such a way to where you fail to recognize the enormous price that was paid for you. Look with me at one final scripture. In Isaiah chapter 40, and verse 18, it says this. To whom can we compare God? What image might we find to resemble Him? Can He be compared to an idol that is formed in a mold, overlaid with gold and decorated with silver chains? Or is He a person, a poor person's wooden idol better? Can God be compared to an idol that must be placed on a stand so it won't fall down? Have you never heard or understood? Are you deaf to the words of God? The words that He gave before the world began. Are you so ignorant? It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. The people below must seem to Him like grasshoppers. He is the one who spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes His tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and He brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root. And then He blows on them and their work it withers. The wind carries them off like straw. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? Asks the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out one after another. He calls them each by its name. And he counts them to see that none are lost or have strayed away. O Israel, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? How can you say God refuses to hear your case. Have you never heard or understood? Don't you know that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth? He never grows faint or weary, and no one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to those who are tired and worn out, and he offers strength to the weak. And even youths will become exhausted, and young men will give up. But those who wait on the Lord... They will find new strength. They will fly high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. See, tonight we look at God in Scripture. And when we sing, we sing to a God that we can't see with our eyes, but that we have experienced through our lives. We felt Him in our hearts. And we sing to a God that we want to make known. But see, tonight, as we think about this concept of these kingdoms at work, and these kingdoms that want nothing more than to pull us in each direction, 
God wanting us to have a relationship with Him so that He can put us on display for His glory and can show the world how magnificent He is, how He can take a life that is broken and destroyed and abused and He can turn it into something beautiful and redeemed. God wants to put you on display. But the enemy, the kingdom of darkness, wants to take your life and pull it and crush it and destroy it. And he wants to put you on display as an object of rebellion to God, as an object of his power to be able to pull you away from God and God's plans for your life. And my friend, the way that he wants to do it more than anything is to lie to you and to tell you, you can make yourself happy. You don't need God. You can worship yourself. You can worship your own desires. You can worship your own thinking. You can worship the things that you know to be right. Repentance, we know, is to turn away from us and turn towards God. But repentance can also mean to stop worshiping myself and to turn and give my worship to God. To stop worshiping me and what I want and what I think and what I need and say, God, I want to worship you. And when we look at this scripture in Isaiah and we see how big God is and he says, who are you going to compare me to? Who are you going to put up against me for a comparison? Are you going to put your dreams up? Are you going to put your future up? Are you going to say, I know how to take care of me? Really, let me tell you who I am. And he begins to unfold the way that he created everything. He knew us before we were even thought of. And God says, I knew you by name. I knew every step of the way. And we think of our life and how jacked up it's been. And we think about all the twists and turns. And we think of the abuse. We think about how hard it's been. And we think about the way that we've seen things that don't make any sense. And we say, God, if you knew my story before it was ever told... Why did this have to happen to me? Why did I have to go through all of these things? And God says, you don't understand. Your story's not over yet. Everything that you've been through, every hardship, every unjust thing, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to make it right. And I am going to put you on display to show you how far my arm can reach. See, the worse off you are, the greater the glory of God is when he puts you on display and shows you. To to the world around that I can create, I can redeem, and I can take back what is mine. And I want to say something to you tonight. That if you are here, and you are hearing God speak to you, and you say, well, what does that mean? How are we supposed to hear God? It's inside of here, my friends. When the songs are being sung, and when the scriptures are being read, and when you're listening right now, you're feeling something happening, and you're going, man, I'm getting uncomfortable. I'm not sure that I'm okay with this whole thing. I'm telling you that that is not you. That is God, and He is speaking to you, and He wants you to hear one thing loud and clear tonight, and it's simple. He wants to tell you, I know you, and I want you to be mine. I know you. I know what your life consists of. I know every situation. I know every hardship. But I want you to be mine. I want you to be one of mine. God takes care of his. God takes care of those that belong to him. And if you're here tonight and you feel that inside of you, God wants you. You have to open your heart up to him. You have to let Him come into your heart. The Bible tells this beautiful analogy. Jesus said it Himself. He says, 
I stand at the door to your heart and I patiently knock on it. And he says, if anybody will open up the door to me, I'll come in. It's as simple as that. And if you're feeling something tonight, God is knocking on the door of your heart. And all you got to do is open it up to him. You say, what do I got to do? How do I do that? It's inside of here. Some people pray a prayer. They say, Jesus, come in. Forgive me for my sins. Wash me. Make me new. Other people say, I just want God. And they, they, they make that choice to give him everything that they are. But my friend, the biggest thing is you have to recognize that God is knocking on the door of your heart and you have to respond to him. I'm going to ask Heather and the band to come up. They're going to close us out tonight with some more worship so that we can come to the tables of repentance tonight. Repentance is a word that you and I have to get. Repentance is a word that we have to become active a part of. Repentance is a word that we can never get tired of. Repentance is a word that we need to learn new ways to express over and over and over to God. Repentance says to us, I'm going to stop worshiping myself and I'm going to choose to worship God. Repentance says, I'm going to deny the things that I think that I need and the things that I think that I want and I'm going to pick up and I'm going to put on and I'm going to make a part of me the things that I believe God wants. That's so vast. That is so big. And yet the process is so small and it's so simple. And the way that we do it on Saturday nights, if you've never been here before and you're unfamiliar with church or you've never been a part of this kind of a ritual before, is we take this bread and Scripture says that Jesus took this same type of bread with his best friends before he died. And he said to them, we're going to have a meal together. We're going to celebrate together one last time because I'm getting ready to leave. But he said, I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to be with you forever. And he says, every single time you get together and you pull out the loaf of bread, let this be a reminder that you're not alone. Let this be a reminder that I am so close to you that I am with you in every situation of your life. Let this bread be a reminder that I know everything and that I am with you. Do it in remembrance of me. Take this bread. And then he dipped it in the juice and he says to them, this juice represents my blood that I am getting ready to shed for you. I'm getting ready to take the rap for the things that you've done wrong and justice will be fulfilled. And he said, drink this juice and think about that. Think about the fact that I stepped in front of the bus that should have took you out for what you've done wrong. That I'm the one that sat on the executioner's table when you should have been strapped to it. I took your place. I did it because I love you. I did it because I want you. I did it because there was no other way for you to have a relationship with our Father.